All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, speaking to you from New York City on the 12th day of November 2019. I uh, like to always remind you that I'm the editor of Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. You can subscribe to that by going to miningstocks.com, miningstocks.com. Or you can call our office here in New York uh, during normal business hours, 718-457-1426. I want to thank each of you for listening to this show, making it one of the more popular shows in the Voice America Business Channel. And I also want to invite each of you to keep your questions and comments, whatever comments you might have about the show, keep them coming to questions for Taylor at gmail.com. Questions, the number for Taylor at gmail.com. Do want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. Our sponsors for today's show, Irving Resources, Novo Resources, Great Bear Resources, Gatling Exploration, and TriStar Gold Resources. I've titled today's show, Profiting from Delusional Central Bankers. John Rubino, Eric Coffin. John Rubino and Eric Coffin return and Nick, and Nick Appleyard visits for the first time. The world has brought the Keynesian has bought the Keynesian notion that earthly paradise can be engineered by ex, by excessive consumption, zero savings, and debt-based money creation magically out of thin air by central bankers. In the process of creating trillions upon trillions of debt-based dollars, the global dollar-based financial system is becoming ever more risky. Debt has been growing ever more rapidly than income making it impossible for central bankers to enable normalization of their balance sheets and a return to market-driven interest rates, which in effect provides efficient price allocation of capital. Now, the central bankers are caught up in a web of destruction that is their own doing. Of course, this is a message that is not widely told because if Wall Street conveyed that message, it would lead to a self-fulfilling prophecy sooner rather than later. So, for example, Peter Schiff who had been previously a regular guest on CNBC, is no longer welcome there because he was suggesting that uh, people should sell their stocks and buy gold. Well, that's not a very profitable trade for Wall Street, so Peter is no longer seen on on CNBC. But that doesn't mean Wall Street and central bankers can defy the laws of nature and nature's markets forever. And that is the point of the topic of today's show. If the mainstream would rather hide the truth from the public for the purpose of short-term gain, then smart investors, the likes of Ray Dalio and others, who think for themselves and can and do profit from recognizing truth over propaganda, then there are opportunities for sure. Of course, when it comes to investing, timing is everything, which is why we usually have Michael Oliver on this show at this hour. Michael will be with us only every other Tuesday now from here on because his workload is just simply precluding him from being with us all the time. But I can tell you that based on his momentum work, a gold price of around uh, 1415 at the end of the month would cause him some concern from a bullish point of view. As this show began today, gold was trading at about $1,458, and the stock market was continuing uh, to rise once again today. John Rubino will be with me in the second half of today's show to provide his insights into the underlying dynamics of key markets and how he thinks we can not only avoid being victimized by existing monetary policy, but possibly profit from it. And right after our first commercial break, I will be talking to Nick Appleyard. He is the president and CEO of TriStar Gold Resources. That's a new sponsor to this show, and it's also a company with an advanced stage gold project in Brazil 
with very robust economics. TriStar is a company that I have recently began covering in my newsletter, and uh, as I have just also, uh, uh, TriStar will also be joining me this weekend, that's uh, Friday and Saturday, at the Metals Investor Forum. I hope that we will see some of you there. Speaking of the Metals Investor Forum, I'm really happy to tell you that Eric Coffin, the co-founder of that institution, is with me right now. Eric writes an excellent newsletter that covers exploration stocks, and he is as good as anyone I know in explaining complicated geological concepts in a way that investors without much background in geology can understand. I recommend it highly that uh, those of you listening to this show consider Signing up for Eric's letter, you should go to hraadvisory.com, hraadvisory.com to sign up for Eric Coffin's Hard Rock Advisories. Advisories. So thanks for joining me, Eric. It's good to have you with me again. Always happy to talk to you, Jay. It's always good to have you, and I I must say that I always enjoy uh, your talks at the Metals Investor Forum, and thanks for you and Scott Gibson for setting up this excellent forum. It is uh, something that I really enjoy going to and uh, meeting a lot of good stories and a lot of good companies there. Uh, you'll be bringing some of them, and um, maybe you could just talk to us a little bit about uh, about a couple of the companies that you're going to be inviting that you uh, that are kind of favorites of yours at this time, I gather. I think the first sure. one is Vissela uh, Resources. Vissela Resources is one you're talking about. V-Z-L-A is a symbol. Yeah, Vissela, I just I started following uh, in the newsletter uh, I don't know, about a month and a half ago, uh, <clears throat> I owned it on the recommendation of a of a young broker I know. Um, but they were when I bought it, it was clearly a deal in a company in search of a deal, um, and they found one in an agreement to acquire a, essentially an entire silver mine in Canton, Mexico, including an operating silver mine. That's hmm. a secure deal. It's not a cheap one, uh, but the way the deal is structured. Essentially, they have the first, you know, the first two years relatively cheaply. They plan to hit this pretty hard. Uh, their stated goal is pretty plain. They, they want to prove up high-grade uh, silver gold resources. I like the fact that they've got the entire district. I like the fact that they've recently reported several shoots uh, that they've sampled with uh, kilo-plus silver equivalent grades, and those silver equivalents are just silver and gold. Um, it's not including base metals. There's very uh-huh. little base metals are very high in the system, which again is something I want to see. Almost none of this camp has ever been drilled by anyone. Uh, Silverstone Resources, which was a capstone subsidiary, did a bit of work about 10 years ago, was in and out of there. But essentially the vendors, uh, it's two Mexican groups, one of which is operating a 500 ton a day mining operation. And if they ultimately buy... <clears throat> 100% of the camp, they will be buying the mining operation, the tailings, the power, the mining licenses, the HEDO agreements, everything. But mm-hmm. for now, this is essentially a high-grade high silver drill discovery story in a mm-hmm. nutshell. Right. And so I see it's selling at about 46.5 cents in Canadian money, at 33, but only 33.6 million shares out, though. So. Yeah, market and the insiders, I think, have got something like 25, 30%, I think. Uh, you will see, you know, there will be a financing announcement between now and, and MEF, which is only three days away. Uh-huh. I'm, I'm quite certain of that. I mean, they've, they've, their stated intention was to do a large financing. There's been no secret about that. My mm-hmm. understanding from people that I've talked to is there are several fairly large names in terms of institutional investors, et cetera, that have already put their hands up. I don't think these guys will have a lot of trouble raising $5 million plus at current prices, and, and they've said repeatedly to me that their intent is to do a no-warrant financing. So I expect to see a news release on that in the next couple of days, I think. They have, they have, or have they have not yet announced the raise. They haven't, they haven't announced it, but it's no secret. Everybody, everyone knows sure. they're announce the financing. I mean, it's, okay. Well, I mean, the stock is performing pretty well today. I think it's up eight cents or something like that. To, so it's a big move percentage-wise today already, and the, the market knows it. Anyway, that's uh, very interesting, Eric. Thanks for that. And another one that you're uh, bringing to the Metals Investor Forum, Pan Global. They have a VM, VMS project in the Iberian Pyrite Belt in Spain. I know I'm following a company that has something in Portugal on that same belt, but talk to us about Pan Global. Pan Global, I, 
I started following because I, I like the management group. It's uh, very senior technical guys. Um, Tim Moody, who runs it, was a very senior corporate development guy at Rio Tinto before he retired. Um, he, <clears throat> he's got two main project sets, I guess, and that's they're both in Spain. One of them is called Escasena. Uh, that's the one where he just delivered what I, what I would describe as discovery holes, um, about 20 meters of percent and a half copper. It's right in the smack in the middle of the Iberian pyrite belt. He picked up this project because it's got a couple of large gravity anomalies on it. And if you look at the last, I don't know, six, eight, ten discoveries in the pyrite belts in Spain. Essentially, all of them came from companies drilling gravity anomalies. This survey was done back in the 80s by Exxon. Exxon stuck around for a year or so, drilled a few holes, and then, like a lot of oil companies at the time, decided they didn't really want to be in the hard rock business and moved on. Uh, it, was held pri- it was held privately for quite a while until Tim picked it up. He's also, more recently, as in last week, acquired the adjoining project, which has another three or four gravity anomalies on it. But uh, what I what I like about this is he's finally managed to get in there. He did a little bit of drilling. In large part, he did that in order to get core, to get density measurements and stuff, because there's no old core or anything on this property. That allowed him to refilter the gravity surveys. But while he was doing that, he also did downhole EM surveys, which are another common tool to discover EMS deposits. He's got a couple of really, really nice um, EM off-hole conductors. One of those he clipped the edge of, and that was his discovery hole. I expect he's going to be back in there in a month or two with the next drill phase, and I, I think the odds of him pulling more good holes are quite good. And, and the thing with the pyrite belt is it's kind of the land of the giants when it comes to mm-hmm. EMS deposits. Uh, the one one that's adjacent to him to the east is about 80 million tons, Another that's about 10 kilometers to the west is about 80 million tons. That's big for VMS deposit, but that's that's mm-hmm. the kind of deposit you find in the pyrite belt. That's why the majors like it so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so uh, are, what what minerals are we looking at here primarily? Base metals, of course, and primarily be yeah, primarily be, be copper. Um, mm-hmm. Some of the some of the pyrite belt deposits in in Portugal actually a couple of them, um, notably Nevis Corvo, which is you know, arguably the best deposit in the whole belt in Portugal uh, mm-hmm. that's, that's being uh, mined by Lundin Mining. Mm-hmm. That one also has a, has a couple of tin, tin zones in it where there's oh. up to a percent or two tin along with the copper. I don't oh. think anybody really knows why, but one interesting thing about this discovery hole, if you will, is that there were a couple of sections in it that actually had up to 1% tin. I have no idea what the tin's doing there, but um, it's a nice thing to find if you can find it, because the stuff sells for about three times what copper does, so yeah. it's a nice add-on. But it, right. it's primarily copper. There's probably some zinc lead in there, mainly zinc in there someplace. Most of these zones, there's usually copper-rich zones and zinc-rich zones. Hopefully, there'll be some precious metals along with them as well. All right. Well, speaking of precious metals, with just a couple of minutes left here, uh, one of your favorites and one of mine, Great Bear. Uh, what are your thoughts on Great Bear right now? I mean, the stock has taken quite a hit recently from its highs, uh, but it just it seems to be happening in spite of the fact that they just the good news just keeps coming with every drill, every press yeah. release. It seems. And it's a very impressive company at, at a lot of levels. Um, very good share structure, lots of cash, but they have lots more cash. They're, they're doing, a, I think it's an 825 flow-through issue right now, a bought deal. Um, that'll bring them up to about $30 million in cash, uh, $10 million or give or take, and in the money warrants. They've got three main areas on their Dixie project in Red Lake, uh, the the areas they started out on initially focused on hinge and limb. Those are kind of classic high-grade uh, quartz carbonate veins, kind of standard issue for Red Lake. What they're working on now is quite different. I don't think they've really classified it at all. Uh, it's what's called the, L, um, the LP zone, which is a, it's a large zone of, of high-grade and disseminated gold in sulfides, in the host rock, it's it's mm-hmm. not vein hosted. It's just sulfide hosted in the rock. Uh, I'm not sure even what you. I'm not. I'm not even sure what the comparable would be uh, in terms of scale potential and what the holes look like. It it, it does bear 
some similarities to both Hemlo and Can- Canadian Malartic. Both of those are obviously mm-hmm. well-known, very large gold mines. I, I think really the reason why you've seen the stock pull back is one, it, it, you know, it did get ahead of itself a bit because people get pretty excited when they started reporting this LP stuff. There was mm-hmm. a bunch of selling from McEwen Mining, which is one of the uh, larger shareholders. Uh, my personal opinion is McEwen Mining simply needed the money. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't think there's anything more complicated than that. They took profits, mm-hmm. fair enough. Um, I think Rob McEwen has, has taken some profits as well. Again, fair enough. The guy's up several hundred percent. Uh, I think people got a little bit spooked by that, but you know, I, I just think it's a, I think it's sort of a tempest and a teapot, and the market will work as long as they keep delivering the kind of drill holes they've been putting out for the last two months. I think the market will just work through it, and I'm, I'm, it's not a stock I'm concerned about. That's for sure. Yeah, me too. That's, that's exactly my feelings, Eric. Well, I wish we had a bit more time as Lion One Mines is one I really wanted to ask you about, but we are out of time. We'll have to have you back on again sometime soon. There's so many so many names. I mean, somebody, I think it was Brent Cook, that said nobody knows more people and more deals than, than Eric Coffin up there in Vancouver. So thanks so much for being with us, Eric, and I uh, look forward to seeing you in a couple of days up there in Vancouver. All the best to you. Yeah, thanks a lot, Jack. Thanks for having me on. All right. You bet. All right, folks, we do have to go to break now, but don't go away because I'm going to be speaking with Nick Appleyard. He's the president and CEO of TriStar Gold, a new sponsor of this show and a company with a very robust-looking project in Brazil. So we'll be right back with Nick Appleyard. Noble Resources Corp. trades on the OTCQX under the symbol NSRPF and on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol NVO. Its flagship assets are located in the Pilbara region of Western Australia. Novo has recently partnered with Sumitomo Corporation of Japan to evaluate, advance, and develop the company's Australian gold projects. With over $40 million in cash and $60 million committed from Sumitomo, Novo is well on its way to establishing itself as one of the top junior explorers and developers in Australia. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questions4taylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. I'm really pleased to have Nick Appleyard with me uh, for the first time. Uh, he was uh, appointed president and CEO of TriStar Gold in, this, uh, in December of 2015. Uh, he has executive experience in mining, having previously been the CEO of Chaparral Gold and vice president of corporate development for international minerals. And he has over 25 years of international experience in precious metals, uh, exploration and mining. And he has managed exploration, development, and production joint ventures in North America and South America, including extensive project development experience in South America with more than 10 years in-country and prior to that in Australia. And he uh, speaks Spanish fluently. It's a bilingual uh, technical person. It's uh, very, very good to have Nick with us today. Thanks for joining me, Nick. Well, thank you very much for having me, Jay. Yeah, it's uh, really good to hear your story, and I'm going to be meeting up with you at the uh, uh, at the Metals Investor Forum. Meet you personally for the first time. Um, it, it seems to me that you uh, that your project, based on what I've seen so far, looks very robust economically. Uh, it is the uh, Costello de Sonhos uh, Paleoplacer Gold Project in Para State, Brazil, which is a very pro mining 
province of, of Brazil. Uh, could you tell our listeners a little bit about that project? How many ounces of gold have you outlined so far? Uh, talk a little bit about the economics of the project and, and where you're going to go from here. Okay, yeah, Jay. So um, we've outlined well, roughly 2 million ounces now, which is 1.3 million ounces in firm, 700,000 ounces in indicated. And from that, we, we did the PEA, and we, which had a production, you know, conceptual production of 1.1 million ounces with some really nice economics. Mm-hmm. Those economics, I mean, we ended up with like a 43% post-tax and you know, 264 million post-tax MPV. So really, really robust numbers for a project like this, you know. Yeah, I should I should have mentioned that your symbol uh, you trade in Canada under the symbol TSG, and down in the states under TSGZF, and 178 million shares at 21 cents Canadian today, so it gives us a, a market cap of I would say around maybe around 38 million or so US something like that if my math is correct. But anyway, it's a very small market cap. What in the in terms of your economics for this project you came up with a net present value, it seems to me, of something substantially greater than what your current market cap is. Absolutely. It was, I mean, current market cap, as you suggested, is in the, in the 30, 35 million range. And, you know, our MPV was 264 post-tax. And, and that was at $1,250 gold as well. So if you run in today's gold prices, that goes even higher. Yeah, it sure does. Now, we're, there's a, very often a disconnect because people are concerned about how you're going to finance this. You have a very small market cap. You know, if you had a big market cap, it would be very easy. You could raise a few more, sell a few more shares, maybe borrow some money and so forth. So I'm sure that's one issue that people are, are, are wondering about. Um, you know, the disconnect between the market cap and, and the price. And, you know, it's a risky business. Uh, price of gold could go down. A lot of things could happen, I suppose. And then, and I think we're not really in a gold bull market yet. I think people are having a lot of fun in the big stock market, and they haven't really moved money into gold to speak of to gold mining shares, especially the lower level uh, developing companies. But you're now involved in a PEA. PEA, are you actually you're upgrading your PEA into a sort of a feasibility study, I guess. Um, and how long do you think that will take? And and how long do you think it might be before? you start thinking about production or is that something you're not at all thinking about yet? No, I think with the, um, the recent investment we received from Royal Gold in, in the $8 million US they put into us for pre-feasibility, that is really coming on the back of they believe and we believe this project is now moving in, in, a, in the direction of going into production in a fairly short term. So our pre-feasibility study should be complete by this time next year. And and that the results of that will give us a sort of a, a production decision point, and our estimates is we could be in production something like three years later from there. Mm-hmm. And it'll take another year or so to get full final permits, and then two years to get it into construction after, into production after that. So I, we think it's moving forward in that direction now. Mm-hmm. I think. I, th- I think part of the disconnect you spoke about, um, we see it as well. Um, I think people don't recognize that, well, they do recognize there are many big hurdles in getting projects into production. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, what we see in Castello de Sonios is a lot of those hurdles just don't exist here. You know, we're in mining-friendly state. We're on a highway. We're on a power line. We're in previously disturbed countryside, so no pristine environment, no national park. A lot of those red flags and risk points that projects see, we just don't have. So, I, and I think that's what Royal Gold recognized as well. I know your uh, your preliminary economic assessment uh, suggested that the all-in sustaining cost of, of only $687 per ounce, which is very low uh, compared to most mining operations. So what are some of the factors in this project that make it uh, apparently so economically robust? I think the characteristics of the project, which which help that all in sustaining, are this is a, effectively a, a large deposit that's a new discovery. So, so the the part of the the ore body that, that we're targeting right now is is literally sticking out of the ground. Um, mm-hmm. We can walk for about twelve kilometres and see the conglomerate coming to surface, and because it's solidified and harder than the surrounding rock, it literally does stick out of the ground. Um, so that's, that just makes very, very simple, shallow, open-pit mining. And then you combine that with the, the nature of this style of paleoplasma, where we get 98% recovery um, from the simplest metallurgical 
processes you can define because there is n- almost nothing in this rock other than sand and gold. And the gold oh. occurs as just free, free grains of gold. I have not seen a grain of sulfide on site. We have no copper. We have no arsenic, no mercury. There's literally, well, not quite, not exactly, but there is very, very little else in there other than sand and gold. So those are the unique characteristics which give us such low costs. Yeah, and so uh, I want to ask you another question I had was, what is the upside in terms of exploration? And I think you sort of touched on it. You said you can see these outcroppings uh, stretching for how how far? Strike length? Well, we have 19 kilometers of outcrop on site we've identified. There's probably, I'm, I'm not sure, say it's something like 10 or so kilometers of that, which where it has a very favorable dip for open pit mining. Some of the spots it gets steeper and it's less favorable for open pit mining. But yeah, for me, having worked in exploration and developed my whole career for more years than I care to think right now, you know, you know you're just scratching the surface. We're drilling only 120 meter deep holes here. There are multiple other targets a little bit deeper and, and adjacent to this. So the, the potential for this project is, is still huge. We're, we're really only scratching the surface. And so the intention is to get into production fairly early, generate some cash flow, and, and develop something bigger. Is that, is that the, uh, the modus operandi? Yeah, the, the idea is that the, the one portion that we're doing the pre-feasibility now, Esperanza South, which is one, one sort of limb or one, one corner of the plateau, will move forward into production quite quickly. And, um, and the rest of the project, we'll start exploring it early next year to, to make sure that we can expose any upside, keep that, keep that growth going in, in the short or medium term as well. But then we, we will have to make a decision when the feasibility is done as to whether TriStar moves it into production or whether we then bring in a large partner or we get acquired. And in reality, that's, that for me is a, is a pure business decision based on what's best for the shareholders at the time. Mm-hmm. Well, certainly, if you can if you can demonstrate something of of, uh, of size there, I think it would be a, probably appealing to a larger to a larger group. I can't help but note that Dr. Quentin Henning, who's very well known to listeners of this show, is on your board of directors. And my friend Eric Coffin, who was with me the prior segment, noted that uh, Quentin always suggests that it's uh, go big or go home, and so he must yes. have seen something uh, large scale potential here, or else he probably wouldn't be as interested in your project as he is. So I, I, I think that makes that makes your story very exciting. I mean, it's one thing to have a small, relatively small, although you're talking about 1.1 million ounces of gold production. It's one thing to have something really small and sort of marginal, and you get your capital return maybe, but not a lot more. But when you can see something that has a potential scale, I think that's what makes this uh, potentially very, very exciting uh, for investors. No, um, you're absolutely right, and, and Quinton's a great director for us because he is uh, one of the one one of the world level experts on paleoplasters, and uh, so you know we've I've learned a lot from him, and, and hopefully as we learn on this we can reciprocate and send some of the knowledge back. But yeah, Quinton's fantastic board director to have in this project, and you're right, it's nice for us to have something real in the feasibility study, and a lot of upside there on this main, mainly unexplored plateau. Okay, so uh, because we lost some time here, I have to sort of wind this down. But what do you, what's in store? What should investors be looking forward to then through 2020 as we end this year into 2020? Will you be having some news coming out from time to time? Absolutely. There'll be the normal uh, monthly sort of updates on the progress of the pre-feasibility study. Um, you know, that'll probably be on a monthly basis, the general results, metallurgical results, updates of resource, and, uh, as that all goes along. Um, and that should all be business-like and formal and, you know, it is what it is. It's, it's a good business plan and, and it'll work. I mm-hmm. think the exciting thing will be the exploration that we're going to start doing to, to expose even more value and, and the upside that we, we think is there at the project. So that, that other work should start in hopefully January, February as well. Those, that news will start to flow out. Oh, so you may be doing some exploration next year as yeah, you, as you yeah, continue? Absolutely. Oh, good. Okay. To, yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm glad to hear that because I think that's what will will generate excitement for your stock, possibly, and uh, and help you finance your way uh, forward. Yeah. So, no, I think, all right. I think uh, right. Is, is there anything else? A last uh, maybe a last word you'd like to leave with our listeners? No, as I said, I think it's just this two pronged attack with something real mm-hmm. and and 
validated by someone as, as good as Royal Gold coming in and, and investing in Esperanza South, you know, right. gives us a real base and then that, that upside potential beyond there. But, you know, but our valuation doesn't even cover what Royal Gold are doing with us. So everything beyond that is, is pure cream. So this is going to be an exciting project and exciting 18 months coming forward for us now. Very good. Well, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing you in, uh, in Vancouver, Nick, and uh, you and I will be doing another interview up there and we'll have time to chat some more and I'll be passing this on to my listeners and also my subscribers. Thank you so much for being with us and uh, we'll look to do it again sometime in the not-too-distant future. Okay, thank you very much, and yeah, I look forward to seeing you very soon. All right, very good. Well, folks, we do have to go to break, but don't go away. After our commercial break, John Rubino will be with me and uh, we'll talk about today's topic, which is profiting from delusional central bankers. Don't go away. We'll be right back with John Rubino. Great Bear Resources, trading under GBR on the TSX and GTBDF on the OTCQX is a gold exploration company focused on their 23-kilometer, wholly-owned Dixie project in the prolific Red Lake Mining District. Having recently made multiple high-grade gold discoveries, GBR is fully funded to complete their very active 90,000-meter drill program through next year. Considered one of the best-performing exploration stocks in the last two years, GBR aims to release a maiden resource in early 2020. To stay up to date, visit greatbearresources.ca. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. listening to turning hard times into good times with your host jay taylor if you have a question or comment about today's show jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790 that's 1-866-472-5790 you can also send an email to questions taylor at gmail.com that's questions the number four taylor at gmail.com now back to our program Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really glad to have with me, once again, a good friend of mine, John Rubino. He runs the popular website, dollarcollapse.com, and you should really go there. Uh, if you're interested in what's going on in the world, John picks up the most important, at least some of the most important uh, news stories out there and articles that are written by people that are uh, really, uh, really in the know when it comes to I would say, free market economics and the perils of central bank financed, uh, a a central bank financed world. And John puts out once a week the top 10 videos, his top 10 video picks. uh, And they're quite interesting. There's really some really great, great things there. I'm looking at uh, uh, last week was Doug Casey uh, was on there. We're looking at an actual collapse of Western civilization. Harry Dent, who's going to be on this show in a couple of weeks from now, uh, well, actually, I think early uh, in December, middle of December. Uh, stock market crash looking imminent. Peter Schiff, of course, well-known. Uh, destroying savings doesn't create jobs. So, um, John, thanks for joining me again. I just want people to go to your website because I think there's so much good stuff there. Thanks for joining me again. Sure, Jay. Good to be back. Always good to have you with me. Um, so, I've titled today's show Profiting from Delusional Central Bankers, and uh, before before we went live, you were mentioning 
some comments that Christine Lagarde recently made. Would you like to share them with our listeners? Sure. And you actually um, kind of presaged that idea when you when you read Peter Schiff's quote in the top 10 mm-hmm. videos yes. where he said, um, destroying savings does not protect jobs. And, and I think he's referring to um, what the new head of the European Central Bank, Christine Lagarde, said recently mm-hmm. where she uh, she said, yeah, you know, negative interest rates make it impossible for you to save, but at least by um, by setting things up that way, we protected your job. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know that when, when central bankers speak, it's it's funny and sad at the same time because the cluelessness is just astounding, and the fact that they they aren't allowed to tell the truth because for them to tell the truth and betray any kind of anxiety freaks the markets out. So you you know they're lying, but sometimes they inadvertently tell the truth. And and um, what Christine Lagarde was saying was that. Um, Negative interest rates are a good thing in the sense that they at least keep people working. But what's left out of that is that in a well-structured capitalist system, you don't have to make that choice. You can have a job and savings. Mm -hmm. And we have screwed things up to the point where our choice now is, do we get to keep our, you know, low-paying, crappy job in a lot of cases at the cost of never being able to save a penny or... Will interest rates go up enough to allow us to generate some income on our savings, but our job will probably go away. You know, that's not a good choice. No, no. <laughs> and, no. And, and the world is kind of faced with, um, on a macro scale, a similar choice where we have all this debt that we got to get rid of somehow. And, you know, we can only get rid of it in a couple of ways. And, and one is a depression where everybody goes bankrupt and defaults, and the other is a hyper-ish inflation where the value of the currency falls to the point where maybe we can pay off our debts in this cheaper currency. And that's it, you know, and, and in a well-run, wisely managed world, um, we wouldn't have to make choices like that because we would have avoided the conditions that force you into uh, a stark either or choice like that. But we didn't for the last 30 or 40 years. We've basically done nothing but borrow huge amounts of money at every level of every major society. And now we are functionally broke. We're not um, obviously in terms of headline numbers broke yet, but there's so much we can't do. And there are so many bad things coming that I think historians will look back on this decade and possibly the uh, the previous decade as, as really the beginning of what they'll call the greater depression, you know, something that uh, that goes on a long time and is just brutal for most people. And I think we're in it now, although we're we're delaying the effects being felt by the average person with negative interest rates and huge amounts of new money creation. Mm -hmm. Which tends to benefit the people that already have a lot of money. And so the redistribution of wealth from the middle class to the the rich continues to go on at an astounding pace, I think, John. Yeah, Jay, if I could just jump in there, because what you said is very very important. Because another way of looking at this is is that we're being harvested right now. Uh This is a massive um, scheme, as it's been set up by the 1%, to suck as much wealth as possible out of everyone else before they let the system fall apart. Because, you know, it's obvious, like you said, that the way things are set up now, Um, All the new wealth that's created, and it's paper wealth, of course, but Mm -hmm. all of it that's created flows into the hands of a tiny group of very rich people. And the idea that that's accidental is uh, is not giving those guys enough credit. (laughs) I think they're smart enough that uh, it wouldn't happen accidentally. Well, then I think we must take some credit away from all the presidential candidates because none of them seem to realize what the real cause of this redistribution of wealth is. And they are, uh, their remedy, of course, is just to tax the rich. Uh, how do you think that'll work out? Well, I think anger at the 1% is totally justified. Uh, and the, the, the solutions are, you know, a lot of solutions are being tossed around out there. And most of them, because they're, they're coming from the left, tend to be, well, we'll make the government even bigger and more powerful. And, I, you know, as, as a libertarian-ish Person, I, I tend to see that as making the problem even worse, because when you create a big, powerful central government, the the guys running that show are inevitably corrupted by all the power that they have, and then you you end up with a dictatorship. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's what we would get if we went full on Bernie Sanders, you know, mm-hmm. and, and basically put all the money or all the um, the power 
in the economy in the hands of a few bureaucrats in Washington. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I understand the impulse that is driving today's emerging socialist movement in the U.S. because the the people in charge are are an awful lot like a corrupt aristocracy in, in Europe in previous centuries where they just they've decided that the rules don't apply to them and that they are entitled to everything. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there's always a stratification in every society. You can't structure a society where some people don't have more than other people yeah. because right. we have different abilities, we have different attitudes, we have different goals in life, and mm-hmm. and we have different amounts of luck. Mm-hmm. Um, so you add all that up, and you're always going to get an elite. Mm-hmm. But in a society that works, the elite recognize that um, that they've got it good. They've got it better than most other people. And they structure the world around them in a way that, that gives other people upward mobility, at least. In other words, they, they make it so that even if somebody doesn't have as much as them, that person has a chance at improving their life and the, the lives of their family. Mm-hmm. Um, and that motivates you if you know if you're a working class guy but you can um, you can get your th- kids through college um by working honestly every day and your family will respect you for what you're doing that's an okay life that is a life that that you might be willing to live and and that's a society that you might consider to be a good society well we've mm-hmm. taken that away mm-hmm. from people in america now and, and that's the reason that we have donald trump as president that's the reason why we might have bernie sanders as president next mm-hmm. time around mm-hmm. and, and it's the reason why we've got kind of a french revolution political upheaval out there in the not too distant future where the peasants grab their pitchforks and their torches and, uh, mm-hmm. and burn the system down. Mm-hmm. And the people who will be blamed or should be blamed for that are the guys who are in charge right now and who didn't see that, you know, moving a factory to China, laying off all those people who, who worked for you here and then getting a big year end bonus for creating a more efficient company at the end of the process, that that's not, a well-run system there, you know, and you shouldn't be doing stuff like that. But, uh, yeah. but they well, didn't see that. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's the, uh, that's the system we have. And it seems to me uh, that uh, it has been enabled by this massive amount of money creation out of thin air that was, of course, uh, permitted to take place uh, entirely once we went off the international gold standard in 1971. Would you agree with that? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, you 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 can trace the uh, the demise of American capitalism either from t- uh, 1913 when we created the Fed or from yeah. 1971 when we went off the vestiges of the gold standard. Mm-hmm. And anybody who has an, even a vague understanding of human nature mm-hmm. would would probably have seen that when it happened for what it was, which was basically handing an unlimited credit card to politicians and bureaucrats and corporate CEOs and and recognize, would recognize that that was going to corrupt them. And it was going to create a system where debt is everywhere. And the, the incentives to, to work hard and progress in life are basically taken away because you can't really progress anymore. Um, and, and which is what we've got now, you know, every level of every major society in the developed world almost is over indebted now. And mm-hmm. some sectors are wildly over indebted. And the only way out of that stuff is a gigantic financial crisis. So, yeah, we, we corrupted the system by breaking the link between our money and something real, which limits the growth of the money supply. For instance, mm-hmm. if, if you limit your money supply to some multiple of the amount of gold that you have in your central bank, okay? Mm -hmm. And the amount of gold in the world is only growing at 2% a year. That limits your money supply growth to 2% Mm -hmm. a year, which means you can't create huge amounts of debt in the system with a money supply that's growing only pretty much at the the rate of population growth. Mm -hmm. Um, We broke that link and we're able to create as much money as we wanted to from 1971 on. And so we did it, you know, we financed wars all around the world and the cradle to grave entitlement system and, mm-hmm. and, uh, and didn't have to prioritize. We just paid for it with funny money, you know, mm-hmm. like, like yeah, a credit card. Yeah, as Ron Paul always uh, likes to point out that the people closest to the money creation are the ones that they gain the most. And so you have Washington and the suburbs around Washington, the political landscape changing in Virginia, for example, because of this massive growth of, of government financing bureaucracies that are running out of control in terms of their growth, the military-industrial complex that Eisenhower warned us about, 
and an empire that doesn't know what to do except to continue engaging in warlike activities, printing more money, and, and uh, expanding the empire that way as much as possible. But John, uh, I, I want to get to the, you know, I, the title of our show is Profiting from Delusional Central Bankers. So, so far, we've been talking about all the downside that, that, they've, that they've created with this, I, I like to say the destruction of capitalism because they're not allowing price discovery of capital. They've, they've bastardized the interest, uh, the, the monetary system, the money, the money markets are not true. They're not legitimate anymore because they are controlled and manipulated by the central bank money creation. Uh, it, we've seen the redistribution of wealth from the people that actually create wealth. And we as a country have been living beyond our means, as, uh, having this massive amount of debt that's not just owed to ourselves, but we've depended so much on foreigners for uh, the kindness of foreigners, as we used to say, to help us live beyond our means. And unlike, uh, say, China or Russia, for example, I think they're in much better shape than we are in many ways because they they don't have this debt that they owe to the world. China seems to be building its its uh, empire, its own empire, economically by buying. I saw this morning uh, making a deal with Greece, uh, the Chinese government in Greece, on the one brick, one road uh, development where China is, is expanding its commercial empire dramatically. At the same time, the United States seems to be seems to be going broke. Uh, you know, we're, we're in debt so badly that and nobody wants to buy. Fewer and fewer people want to buy our treasuries. Uh, the, the pension funds can't, uh, they, I mean, they can't, they can't make ends meet. Pension funds are going bust. So, so John, where does this, how does this play out? Do you see it playing out with, in some sort of a deflationary implosion like 2008? And then finally, we have to, there's a reset or an explosion, and then if you could comment on that quickly, and then I want to get to what some of the solutions might be for individuals. If not for the country, how can we as individuals at least protect ourselves and try to profit, or at least hold our own when the, uh, when the fecal matter hits the rotary oscillator, as some people like to say? Mm-hmm. Well, Jay, yeah, uh, it, it, it's easy to get lost in the gloom and doomy side of this and lose sight of the fact that this is basically an investment thesis. In other words, there... There are ways in the major crisis that's probably coming to get rich, you know, or at least to protect yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what we should be focusing on because that's basically a happy idea. You know, you, uh, you do this thing based on your, your perception of where the world is going and the thing that you did goes up in value and you make money. And, and if you stay focused on that, the world is a lot less terrifying because if you just mm-hmm. look at, oh my God, you know, the, this is going to blow up and this is, you know, it, it can, it can be really scary and it can be hard to get out of bed in the morning. But if you're instead focused on, Hey, I bought this stuff and it's already up 20%. I think it's going to quadruple. Then it's very easy to get out of bed in the morning. Uh, and so that's what we should be looking at. What do we do when, when it hits the fan and it yeah. could go either way. That's, that's the tricky thing right now is that, um, you know, an, an overabundance of debt can be resolved in either a 1930s-style depression or a 1920s-style uh, hyperinflation. And, uh, yeah, go ahead. And and we don't know which it'll be. <laughs> That's the problem. But uh, we're we're right now we're trying hard to um, to engineer the second scenario. In other words, we're we're aggressively cutting interest rates and increasing the money supply around the world, which will lead to a big drop in the value of the world's currencies. And if that's true, then there's a pretty specific set of things you can do with your finances that give you a very good chance of at least preserving purchasing power and maybe making a lot of money. All right. I'd I'd like to uh, tell our subscribers, our listeners here, uh, again, it's uh, dollarcollapse.com, and John puts up 10 his 10, 10 uh, uh, video picks every week. Uh, and because he's a modest fellow, he's not a bragger, he's a, a humble fellow. I like John a lot because of that. He's got a, a, a video uh, interview that he did himself. It's at the very bottom. You have to scroll all the way to the bottom. John, this, the reason I'm bringing this up is because it fits what we're talking about. The title of this video, John Rubino predicts death of European Union, silver over $200 an ounce. Talk to us a little bit about your thinking there on that. Yeah, well, the um, the precious metals investment thesis is basically that um, 
These are the forms of money that humanity always goes back to when they screw up their modern, quote unquote, mm-hmm. forms of money. Uh, and gold and silver, because governments can't make more of those things. You know, you got to dig them out of the ground and the supply of them goes up by about 2% a year. And that's it. You can't get more um, unless an asteroid that's made of gold falls to Earth. Or something <laughs> like that. Other than that, you know, 2% a year is the most of an increase right. in the supply of gold, which means they hold their value over time. And the difference between the amount of paper wealth in the world and the amount of physical wealth in the form of gold and silver continues to grow as we create more credit at a rate that exceeds the rate of increase in gold and silver. So, you you know, you buy some gold and silver, they will hold their purchasing power over time, and you'll be protected in that way. And then you, uh, you can invest in gold and silver mining stocks which are basically leveraged plays on the price of gold and silver, and they could go up quite a bit more than the price of the metal goes up. So one is money. In other words, gold and silver replace the dollars that you are stashing in your bank account or under your mattress. Mm -hmm. And uh, mining stocks replace your Google and your Apple stock. Mm -hmm. Uh, and and your bank stocks for sure. Don't don't be in financial services stocks in the kind of world we're talking about because they will tend to do very badly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and you know put those two things together and it's possible that you actually make money where all while all around you are losing their shirts. Uh, and that's how it's been in past cycles like this. Yeah, well, it's interesting, John, to note, and I don't remember exactly the time frame, but David McElhinney was on our show not long ago and he talked about how. Gold over the last couple of decades, I believe it was, has actually outperformed Buffett, Buffett's Buffett's fund, and and substantially so, not by a little bit. So I mean, even in good times, gold has performed very well. Now there've been gyrations at times when you say, "Oh gosh, why do I own these gold stocks?" Especially the stocks are risky and they more volatile, as you point out. Uh, but uh, but I think that was really uh, that really surprised me that if you had bought gold at the right time, going back a couple of decades, you would be ahead of Warren Buffett during that time. Does that surprise you? Yeah. Well, no. the The idea behind gold and silver is that they um, they maintain purchasing power. So if the dollar is going to drop in value year after year, which it is, then gold and silver would be expected to go up relative to dollars. You know, not to real stuff. You gold might buy you the same amount of stuff today as it did in 2000, let's say. Mm-hmm. But the dollar definitely doesn't buy you the same amount of stuff. Exactly. So, so you, um, you protect your purchasing power by holding metals. Yeah, gold was 200 and some dollars an ounce. In the early zeros. In the early yeah. zeros, yeah. Yeah, and now it's 15 or so hundred dollars uh, an ounce, which, yeah. which means the dollar has fallen by that amount versus gold, basically. Uh, and there's no reason to think that won't continue because we're making even bigger mistakes now than we were back then. You know, all right, well, mistakes get bigger. Okay, well, uh, we'll have to leave it go with that, John. That's that's all the time we have. Thank you so much. And I would say, people, go to dollar dollarcollapse.com, scroll all the way to the bottom, and you can uh, you can watch a video uh, interview that John did. Death of European Union, silver over two hundred dollars an ounce. Thanks for being with us again, John, and we'll look to do it again sometime in the near future. Great. Thanks, Jay. All right, folks. Well, that's it for this week. Next week, Bob Moriarty will be with me, Quentin Henning, and Michael Oliver will be back with us. Until then, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. 